cut it there. Cut, cut, cut! And cut. Cut! 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 Terrific! Cut! And cut! Cut! Let's try it again. Cut! And cut! 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 Check the gate. Cut! Cut! Welcome to Cut, just another movie podcast. I'm Angie. I'm Annie. And we're two siblings that love movies. Again, I just want to remind everyone before we start this episode to follow us on our socials. We just got a TikTok. Yeah, yeah. We had some trouble with the username. It was my fault. But if you just search Cut Movie Pod, we're like the first people that pop up on there. We only have one video. no one else has come up with that name, surprisingly. Right. So on TikTok, Cut Movie Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Cut Movie Pod. So if you want like recommendations, if you want to recommend movies for us to review or movies that have already come out that you want us to watch, you can hit us up on anything there. Like, follow, subscribe, comment, all that stuff because it really, really helps us out. On this episode, we're covering a movie that we just saw. Literally. Like two hours ago, we got out. It's Babylon, Damien Chazelle's Babylon. As we do with all our reviews, the first half of the podcast, it's going to be spoiler free. So we're going to do our best job to review and make our thoughts known about what we thought about the film. And then we'll do a alert. And usually it's a soundbite that relates to the movie, like with like all the Halloween movies that we've done. It's like stabby sounds. The menu is like food ASMR stuff. What should we do for this one? Like a trumpet. Okay. Like a womp womp. I, I thought it was going to be like just people doing cocaine. I mean, if you could find a sound of people doing that. Just people sniffling. Yeah, I just mean, record you yourself that. sniffling. Okay. So we'll give you an audio cue of when the spoiler uh, happens. So let me ask you this before we start. What do you know or have you heard of Hollywood Babylon? So I know it's a book and that's all I know. Okay. You know, I know there's stories and... People have mixed feelings about the book. Right. That's that's all I know. I've never read the book um, and I don't want to assume that I know the book or I don't want to guess, but I know it is about the era uh, that Babylon, the film, takes place. But other than that, like I, I know it's there's mixed feelings across the board about it. I kind of always took it as like a tabloid type thing. It's by Kenneth Anger and like over the years it's been debunked like a lot of the stories have been debunked even though they're kind of based on truths they've been debunked and actually Karina Longworth who does you must remember this has a really good series podcast she has a really good series on debunking the Hollywood Babylon it's like fact-checking Hollywood Babylon and it's a really really good series it's one of her earlier ones so I definitely recommend you check it out if you're interested in this kind of material when I first heard about Babylon and what the film was going to be it was nothing to what I ended up seeing tonight. Even when I heard what who the cast was going to be and kind of the premise of it, like I thought it was going to be a much more G-rated version of like what we ended up seeing. No, I knew it was going to be exactly what it was. Really? Yeah, okay. totally. I Because I know about all the stuff in Babylon and kind of, I really enjoy hearing about that era in Hollywood because of all like the salacious stuff that would happen behind the scenes and all of like the weird paying off people and just all this weird shady shit that was going on in Hollywood that I'm sure still happens. Like overall, what did, what did you think? Let's just throw it out there. I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to like it because for me, even like I've been talking about Babylon and like that era that I really enjoy of Hollywood 
for me being a person that enjoys that stuff and I was just kind of like, like kind of like deflated. I can't imagine what just like a person that's not into that stuff and that's just going into the movie is going to think. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe they'll like it because it's so debaucherous and like so extreme. Which is not to say I didn't like that. Like I thought that was cool, but I don't know. It just like, it was kind of a hot mess. Like it was a little disjointed. And then you have like that weird moment in the third act that I'll talk about later that gets like a little horror movie. And you're just like, I don't know, like with the cast that they had and kind of the material that they had to work with, I feel like it just kind of fell flat. Like, I don't know. I didn't expect it to be that in your face. Like I knew some of the stories, but even then, like not saying that I dislike that aspect, but I think that the debauchery of it, overtook the entire movie and then when you're left with the characters the characters seem very just like one-sided like it was just kind of like i don't really care about any of these people you and know? i think and that was the point you're not really supposed to care about any of them except for maybe one but like that there was a point in like the second act of the movie where it kind of started to turn for me and i was like oh this is actually like getting good <laughs> Like once all the like party shit happens, which is literally like the entire first half of the movie, then you kind of start getting into more of the substance of like movie making and this like comedic stuff. And like you get to know the main players a little bit more. And so that was kind of interesting for me. And then like the third act, it just kind of all just like, like falls apart. Right. I think in a movie you are supposed to care about some people. Like that's the emotional trajectory that you have. You know, if you, if you come up with a story and you don't have characters to latch onto, then like, what's the point of the movie? And that's the thing. It's like, yeah, like you said, you know, the first half of the movie is like debauchery and like people having a great time and, and just people going, you know, crazy, um, drinking, doing all sorts of drugs and, and all this shit. When it comes to caring about characters and the leads are played by Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie and Diego Calva, their performances were good, but, the way that their characters are written just seem very one dimensional and just kind of like, yeah, you have an established actor that's on the way out. And then you have two newcomers that the dreams are being in Hollywood. And, and part of the movie is, you know, that ideal of that people want to come to LA and Hollywood and become a star and how fucked up it is because it's not exactly how you imagine it to be once you get there. And that it's very, uh, you know, hit or miss, you know, and when it misses it misses really hard. So going back to the book, Hollywood Babylon, what are the things do you think are referenced in the film? I think the main thing that is kind of, you know, the book talks about is just the age of overindulgence in Hollywood, which we all know, <laughs> like it's still, I mean, it's and, still, and it still happens. And I think at the time, you know, that it came out, people were really thirsty for that kind of thing. Or, you know, now you can just like look it up or and see if it's true or not. And this is just kind of a thing. And in the movie, there are several sequences where I'm just like, oh, that could not happen now. You can't just hide that now. Like people would definitely find out within two minutes of it happening. So I think that that's kind of the main thing is all that debauchery, all that overindulgence, all the drugs, all the sex, all the weird payoffs and hiding bodies and like all this stuff is kind of just what Hollywood Babylon was about. And I think that's what they took from it. There are sequences, you know, like the very first sequence, there's an elephant and 
something that was a really good way to start the movie but yeah and in a way a little it's, foreshadowing it's very, for the rest yeah, of it yeah it's very very <laughs> metaphorical of like what the movie is really about um so just be prepared i think it's just always been so interesting to me because we don't know what really happened and there's just kind of that mystery where like yeah this is maybe what might have happened but we don't really know like the whole you know with elizabeth short and the black dahlia we can kind of guess and like 90% know what happened, but we're still never going to actually know what happened. And I think that's what really draws me to that kind of area and those kind of stories is that you're like, well, did that happen? Because if it did, it's fucked up. Or maybe it didn't happen. If you want to talk about the purest character in the film is Manuel or Manny. And he's the outsider. He's Mexican. And he has this spiel with Marco Robbie's character where he just wants to be part of the movies because to him, that's where the magic happens. And how it takes you out of reality into a special place. And I actually really like that scene. I where did they're, too. They're genuinely before they all get tainted. But um, they're also on coke. <laughs> yeah, they're on drugs. And I thought it was, it's just so accurate to like people on coke having conversations. Cause they're just like, yeah, and it's going to be me and you and we're going to go and then we're going to meet and then we're going to be in Hollywood. And like, that's exactly like I've been to so many parties where people are literally talking like that. Yeah. But it is a really sweet scene because it's kind of them before like all the big stuff happens and right. they get, like you said, tainted and all that stuff. And I do appreciate, I will give it to Damien Chazelle that you can really see how much he loves movies and like making movies and just like everything that goes into a movie, which like you could say that with, you know, something like La La Land or something like there. Are, I love movies about making movies, which is another reason why I was kind of disappointed by this one is that I was like, this should have been good. Like, I don't know. And it's, to me, it's like sort of the anti-La La Land because La La Land yeah, is sort like of La La Land the facade. R-rated. You know, this I is like, about that too. it's like the facade. If you ever been to like Universal Studios or like Warner Brothers or Paramount, like you see like, oh, this is supposed to be New York. And then you like walk in and then you just, just see like wood, wood <laughs> and like cobwebs and Or like dirt going and, backstage at Disneyland. And Babylon. <laughs> yeah. Babylon is that. It's the guts of the magic, you know? and I do appreciate that as well. But at the same time, like I feel like the dirtiness of it and I'm not saying that there isn't dirtiness. I I feel like people should know that. Yeah. To be in Hollywood and making these films and being part of the film business, it is kind of dirty. You know, it's not a great place and you know, people get fucked up and abused and, and all these other things. But I feel like, it what there wasn't really a balance between the characters of like okay i'm going to show the gritty side of hollywood and how shitty it is and these three people that are supposed to be involved and one is one is an established character and you have the two newcomers but they still didn't really like by the end of the film i still didn't really feel like i felt anything for them you know i just felt like oh it's it is what it it is what it was, and like it well, was. Maybe it's meant to make you feel like a person in Hollywood. Maybe it is, but also there's a scene at the end of the film that's very. It it reminded me of Cinema Paradiso, if anyone has watched that film, because it takes place in a theater and there's a character that's looking on and he's like reminiscing, and he gets emotional and. But I didn't really feel that because it was like, sorry, dude, you wanted to join the circus and that's what the circus was and it's fucked up. 
And maybe like for someone that has nothing, no information about Hollywood or how it works or the history of it, maybe they will feel that emotion. But I think of just the research I've done and things I've read and just being so close to it that I don't really feel like that connection, you know, or that emotion high point in, in at the end of the film. Um, and, and just even throughout the film, like there's some moments where they, they should hit like, like one of my favorite moments is like a techie part. And that's where I was kind of laughing to myself because yeah. I, Oh yeah. I deal with that on a daily basis. Um, but it's such a nerdy niche thing, you know? And I don't know if regular people were, would like get it at all. One of my favorite moments and adding on to, you know, the whole bit of you talking about how, you know, that scene in the theater where you were just like, you know, is Jean Smart is actually really good in this movie. Yeah, she's really good. She great. plays a journalist and she has an exchange in the movie that I thought was really, really good. Talk about it later. But that's that, that was one of my favorite parts because I was like, yeah, <laughs> like that's the, what this whole movie's about. Yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. And I thought that scene was really great as well. I mean, all the actors are really great. I think everyone was casted really well. I just think that the writing of those characters could have been better. Um, and again, just the idea of, I think the debauchery just gets hit over the head so much. I think so too. It's like, dude, we get it. It almost felt like Damien Chazelle was that Disney Channel star <laughs> and he's going into his like, I'm a bad girl phase now. And you're just like, okay, I get it. You're not on Disney Channel anymore. Right. It kind of felt that way to me. That's understandable because he's an East Coast kid and he came from the West Coast. And I'm sure he was like, oh, this is how things are. And um, and it was kind of an eye opener for him. And just to look into the history and all of that. Um, I've also heard that he had been writing, thinking about writing this for like 15 years. And originally... See, this is where, where I kind of connect with him. Originally, it was going to be the premise of like the silent movie era going into talkies, you know, and that's it without the debauchery and all that. That would have been great. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I thought it was going to yeah. be. Like the whole like over the top parties and all that. Again, I'm not trying to say that to not show that. But to me, there's like a balance. But it's like a 40 minute sequence. <laughs> like, yeah, you have this Gatsby-esque Baz Luhrmann party sequence that's right. like 40 minutes long. And the title card pops up like 40 minutes in, which I love. I'm a big fan of doing that. Um, but yeah, that party scene is just like eternal. <laughs> I feel like cocaine comes up so many times in the film. And it's just like, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> we need to move on. This movie's <laughs> over three hours. Like we need to like, <laughs> jump to other things you know <laughs> overall like what was your your thoughts leaving the theater tonight i was a little bored at one point but overall i was entertained i thought it looked really good a lot there were a lot of really beautiful shots throughout the movie a lot of yeah, really cool tracking shots that I thought were the one thing that i really enjoyed was the cinematography which is i mean it's always good yeah and, Damien Chazelle. and um his cinematographer that he always uses and mm. i mean he won an academy award for law and I think they killed it. I thought the look, I thought the look of the film was really great. Um, it definitely looked the part. Yeah. It but looked of the era. I don't think there was, I don't know. It just wasn't a lot of substance to it. Like <laughs> I described it <laughs> to someone as I was telling Andy, I, 
I described it as like, if I was on Coke and was pitching you a movie about movies transitioning from the silent era to talkies in the twenties, this is what it would have been. (laughs) And it would have been three hours long. And so, yeah, that's, I guess, take from that what you will. I like that analogy a lot, actually, because that's that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Like, Yeah. And I'm sure like it's a little bit by design, the hecticness and like Mm -hmm. how crazy it was. And, um, but I don't know. There's just, like you said, there's not a lot of substance. I don't really feel for any of the characters, even in the moments where you're supposed to feel for them. I was just like, okay. You know, it, it just, there wasn't a lot of uh, dimension to those characters. Like every character, like with Margot Robbie's character and um, uh, Manuel's character, like I could, the person that I felt for the most was Manuel. Same. Because he's the out, he's the true outsider. He's yeah. from the country. And there's a scene in the film where him and Margot Robbie are in a car and, and he's and they're tired. And Manuel starts talking about his parents and like, Oh, they live like 30 minutes away. If I just drove there. And yeah. again, this is the time where like driving was like going on an airplane. It wasn't like just how we do it now. And she's like, but you don't do it. And then he's like, Oh, it's just easier not to. And, um, and that like those moments I wanted to see more of, I and they too. were like maybe two or mm-hmm. three in the entire three hour movie and the rest of it was just like chaos. And that was like the moments that I really, because they, Margo and Diego kind of have like a love thing throughout the movie, which I mean, it's not really a spoiler because you know, and in those really, those moments that they have, like the one you mentioned, the one where they're at the party for the first time, like doing Coke or whatever, they're just really tender moments between both of them. But the rest of the time when they have interactions, there's like no chemistry between them like at all. No. You have these really nice fragments of the movie. And I think if you were to cut them all together, it would make like a more fuller movie. Yeah. You know? Like we were saying, like if you cut like 40 minutes of the debauchery and then focus more on the relationships with the characters and sort of furthering their their lives and like how they play a role in, in that era. Um, I think it just would make you feel more. And that's the thing. Like I just left the theater really not feeling much for any of the characters. I get the era and like that there was a big transition going from, you know, silent era to talkies and people's lives were like turned upside down and people rejected it. And if you've ever seen sunset Boulevard, that's kind of like the ashes of that era because you have Buster Keaton in that movie and there's a whole table set of uh, silent movie actors that just were just done, you know? They, people didn't want to hear hear them at all. Also, Brad Pitt's character, he's like the um, Buster Keaton of his era and in the silent movie era, really famous and then realizes that no one likes him anymore and then <laughs> there's a scene that you could even see 20 miles away. But even when it happens, I was just like, mm. okay. Yeah. I, I just didn't really care for his character either. You know? Which I don't think we're supposed to care for his character because what we see from his character is kind of just like, I don't know. He's kind of a shithead the whole time. But he's also like, I want to say this. Ev- after Moneyball, Brad Pitt, <laughs> I feel, has been playing like the same dude. Yes. In every yes. Movie. And that's what I was telling I was actually telling Andy again is 
He does, because I know he's nominated for a Golden Globe for this. Is he? I think so. He's nominated for something for this. But he does that. It's just Brad Pitt doing that thing the whole time that he does in like Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Which works for, it was like the same character from Inglorious Bastards. And it made me laugh too, because the first time we see him, he's speaking Italian, but like very fluent Italian compared to his character in Inglorious Bastards. And so that kind of cracked me up, but like he has the same little mustache and like he has, and like he, it's the same. There's a scene in the film where he's talking on the phone and it just reminded me of all the scenes in Moneyball where he's talking on the phone. And there's this specific scene where he's talking to Jonah Hill's character when he's like, was I drafted? Was I drafted correctly? And he's like kind of drunk. He's like, cut that crap. <laughs> and I get, is, he just gets into that same tone of voice yeah. and that same characterization. And also I'm just he like, eats in this. Yeah. He does eat. He does eat. So that, that pattern that continues. continues. Overall, I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> the sad thing too is that I don't think a lot of people are going to see this movie. No. Like how many our, people? There were seven people in our theater and three of them were us. Yeah. I just don't think this type of film does well with audiences anymore. The film about the film, about the film industry, you know, and especially now that we're in award season and we're obviously going to do a, a podcast leading up to the Oscars about our picks and, and all that. Um, and it, it will be in the conversation, but I don't, I don't think it should be at all. Um, but five or six years ago, I think people would be more, the interest would be a lot higher about this type of movie. But now I just think people just don't care. They just, it's not, it's not Old an hat. interest to them. Yeah. And, um, and, for, and it's because like people in the film industry and people that are film historians like know about this stuff and it's a very niche kind of thing. It just doesn't satiate people's sort of interest in, in, um, in this era of, of, and that's history. the thing too, is like we're movie people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I like movies about making movies. I love this era of I, movie making on paper. Like this sold me. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like Damien Chazelle too. Brad Pitt's in it. Margot Robbie's in it. Like totally. And then we saw it and I was just like, what was that? I kind of had a similar feeling to Mank. Oh, Because yes. Mank was That's totally right. built for me. That movie felt long too. I love films about films and that film, if you haven't watched it, it's about the making of Orson, of, uh, Orson Welles' I'd Citizen Kane. I'd rather watch Mank again. Wow. <laughs> Dang. That's saying a lot. Like if I were Shots to recommend fired. one of the two, I'd recommend Mank. Mank? For sure. Okay. I don't know if I'd recommend either one. I wouldn't, but I'm saying if I had to. But it was the same thing with Mank. It was like a movie about the making of a movie and it's such a big movie, you know, and, um, and it just fell flat. And I just didn't really care about the characters in, in that film either. And, and uh, again, I'm not trying to say that it's like because of it's the era, because it's so old and we're so removed from it. Not at all. It's just there's a way to present those eras in a way by building up the characters in the film and, and making people care about those characters and not feeling so one dimensional and not not relying so much on the debauchery or craziness or, or all of that. Like you can do that a little bit, but you can't, you know, spend most of your time doing that because then it's your life with just like a party. And then it's like, I get it. And then like, who are these people, you know? And, and if people can't connect to those characters, I, I think that's, 
you lose them. And, and for a th- over three hour long movie that you don't care about these people, that that's saying to me a lot. And so that's what I left um, feeling like leaving the theater is just like, I spent over three hours watching these people and I'm just like, whatever about them. That's not, that's not a very good sign. Now's about the time that we're going to go into our spoiler segment of the pod. So listen for the spoilers found. Perfect. Holy crap. That (laughs) elephant. I thought it was a good way to start a movie. I've never seen an elephant's asshole at all, period. I want to know how much research that they went into. I've never seen it shooting shit out (laughs) that close or ever, really. I never thought I would. You can check that off my bucket list, I guess. Yeah, I had never (laughs) seen that in film. So good job, Damien Chazelle. When I saw that, I was like, this is either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. I just felt bad for the <laughs> elephant the entire time. Just for some context there, it's like the first scene in the movie and they're supposed to bring horses. But then he's like, no, I have an elephant. He's like, no, it was an elephant. And they have a truck. And again, this is in the 20s. So they don't have the technology to have these like big semi trucks and they don't have a big enough truck for this elephant. And so they jam it up and they're like pulling it up this hill. And basically the elephant's tusk is like going through the window and the driver and he's like getting in his face and they can't go up the hill because the weight's too much and they try to push it up. And um, Diego Calvo's character is like pushing it with this other guy and um, the elephant shits in the, the other guy's face. A lot. And it's a lot. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's like, very in your face. It's like a chocolate fountain. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> Literally, it's clo- it fills up the whole screen. I will say, though, that I appreciate that when you have a Mexican character in your film and the like cursing and the like frustrations are in Spanish, they're not they're in English. They're not subtitled and either. They're not subtitled. Which I so appreciated. If you speak Spanish, that's an insight for you and you can laugh your ass There's off and tell your neighbor. There's also a whole scene like at the climax of the movie when Margot Robbie's like really deep in her shit and she goes to his house. That whole scene isn't subtitled where he's like yelling at her about how yeah. like his life is shit because of her. And that whole thing isn't subtitled, yeah. which I thought was really cool. All of those scenes I really appreciated. And it's one thing that is a rarity. And if we're talking about Hollywood films and, and minorities being represented and all of that, need to see more of that shit because I really loved it. And even if it wasn't in a a language that I understand, just to hear it coming Mm -hmm. out of someone naturally, it's a beautiful thing to witness. What did you think of the, like the debauchery and, and, uh, that whole sequence where they're all just going orgies? I love a crazy debauchery scene. I love a big party scene. But there was a point where even I was like, okay, it's been 20 minutes. Why is this still going on? Or why am I still seeing this? Like, and then there's like people fucking everywhere. There's drugs. There's like a small person with a giant penis. Like there's just like, I get it. But I I just, it just lasted too long. Like you have the party scene and then you have the moment where Diego meets um, Nelly and then you have them doing drugs in that room. And I feel like after that, that would have been fine. And I get that this was all a way to get to know all of the main players because you have, you know, Jack, Brad Pitt's character coming in and then you have Nelly, Margot Robbie's character coming in and you have Manuel Diego's character. And so they all kind of are at this party 
So I get it that it was like an introduction to the players, but I felt like it just took too long. But they don't evolve. That's the thing too, is like they don't evolve from the very beginning of the movie, except for like Manuel, uh, but he sort of devolves and then kind of comes back. I like his arc the most because it is that thing where he does succumb to the temptations of Hollywood and he becomes this big studio exec and then realizes it's not worth it because, you know, Nelly puts him through all this bullshit and he's just like, well, I'm just going to go to Mexico. (laughs) And then he just leaves. Like he leaves it all behind him and Sydney, actually. Um, The trumpet player who's played by Giovanna Depo. I really liked his character too. And I really liked, um, I think her name was Faye was played by Lee Jun Lee. She was really good too. Yeah. And so I think all three of them, Diego, Faye and Sydney, they all kind of fall into it and then they kind of leave. Yeah. And I thought they were the characters that I cared the most about, especially Sydney. I cared the most about him. I didn't really care about Nellie or Jack, but I did care about like these other seemingly side characters, which I thought was interesting. Those side characters were the most like grounded. Yeah. Were like the most realistic to the times. They weren't like caricatures. And especially because they were put in these like really hostile like uh, positions that really were like life and death in that era. You know, there's a scene later on where the trumpet player is forced to look blacker because that was a really good scene. Yeah. That whole scene was really great where he's forced to wear black makeup because he doesn't look as black as the other players in his, in his ensemble. Um, I really wanted him to just be like, fuck no and not do it, but he does it. But at the end of that, he checks out as a student. He's and he like gives his like, you know, ID and he's like, I'm never coming back here ever again. So like good for him. Um, but yeah, those side characters to me were more valuable and more important than, like Any I would have watched the, the movie just with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cause they're all, they were in part of the machine too. Like, you know, they were in, they were at the party. So they yeah. were all there anyway. They were just more interesting than yeah. like the main characters. But also they were more dimensional. And that's mm-hmm. the thing too, is like they didn't, um, they questioned more of the system that they were in versus like, like Manuel did, but it was, it was already over. Like it was too late for him to like really realize what he was into. Which is interesting considering how much screen time they got, which was not as much. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, it doesn't take a lot of time to build these characters into these like real world, like dimensional figures. Like it doesn't take like a fucking half hour. Unless like I'm saying, unless that's what was meant to happen is that you were just not supposed to care about Nelly or Jack. But at the same time, it's like, why? I don't know. I don't know have them as your you yeah. know, protagonist. I get you know? it. I get it. Going back to what I teased in the pre spoiler part um, about historical inaccuracies. And I'm going to leave it up to you guys um, because I've read different things about the matter. Um, there's a scene in the v- very beginning of the movie where the party's going on, the orgy's going on, people are having sex and doing all sorts of drugs. And there's a moment where we go to this bedroom and there's this overweight guy and there's a woman and she's taking off her clothes and starts peeing on him and he's like getting off. And uh, it really reminded me of the story. um, If you know who Fatty Arbuckle was, he was a prime silent movie star of that era, you know, up there with Buster Keaton. 
it was probably one of the big crime celebrity stories that America had seen at the time. Fatty Arbuckle was like tried for manslaughter. Like I mentioned earlier in the fact checking Hollywood Babylon series that Karina Longworth has, she has an episode on the Fatty Arbuckle trial. And it's about Fatty Arbuckle and Virginia Rappay, who Virginia was a woman who ended up dying at one of his like parties or at his house in San Francisco at his right. hotel. It was hotel room actually. And she kind of goes through the whole case and the scandalization of it and kind of, I mean, there are articles on the Smithsonian website. There's a New Yorker article. There's the Karina Longworth, if you want more information on it. But now that you mention it, like, yeah, maybe that was kind of an inspo for that scene. I I felt it because, <laughs> yeah. and not to get about people's physical attributes or whatever, but yeah. the fact that the guy it's was like, like overweight <laughs> and they're at a party yeah. and they're doing these debauchery things and it's like an accidental death and Flea, who I didn't know was going to be in this movie, he plays this it's like security producer, cleanup guy. <laughs> but, it's, but I think he's like a, I don't know if he's like a producer or if he's like just part of the, the Hollywood, you know, cleaning up the dirtiness of, of Hollywood at the time. He comes in and, and basically says like, oh, we need to clean this up and yada, yada, yada. Um, but going back to the Fatty Arbuckle thing, he was tried, but he was found innocent and they didn't really find anything. But again, I'm not taking any sides. I'm just historically speaking of Hollywood and of that era. I feel like it was like related. Well, it was a huge scandal. Yeah, it was a huge scandal. Like I said, it, it was like the big, it was like OJ Simpson, you know, or, you know, insert any other celebrity that's been uh, caught in a scandal. But it was kind of like the biggest one at the time back in the 20s. And uh, and it ruined Fatty Arbuckle's career and he never really recovered and and he ended up dying of a heart attack in his 40s. And so to me, that scene um, totally is a reference to what had happened in that time and in that era. Speaking of image and trials and scandalized celebrity lives, uh, what did you think of the whole sequence where they're trying to like rebrand Nelly, which because I, I thought it was pretty on point considering yeah. they do that now because she goes from this like wild child and like everyone loves her. And then they're like suddenly, you know, being wild is out. Goodbye. Right. You have to be demure now. <laughs> what I like about that is that it really puts into context that idea of how difficult it was for actors to segue from silent movies to talkies. Because a lot of them had a difficult time. And and so it's like PR now when like a celebrity is caught on like Instagram or saying something stupid on Twitter. And then now they have to like save face and, and recover from that. You Which know? is so, it's always been so weird to me. The fact that talkies were a make or break thing for silent film stars. Because they didn't sound like what people wanted them to, but I'm like, how did people know what they wanted them to sound like? Like, I don't know what people expected, but I feel like, I feel like it was sort of like when we introduced color or when we've had some technical advance where that layer is stripped off and then you see like what people are really like and people like reject it or love like, it. That's not what I wanted them you to know? sound like. <laughs> people got used to like just seeing people be expressive and emote and all that in the moment that they open their mouth and they like, don't sound with what they look what they like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think that's where people reject it and laugh off. And there's a great scene too, where like Brad Pitt is like trench coat so and funny. his like fedora <laughs> and he's like walking in and it's very noir and he's like seeing a movie before his like career is basically over. And he's like saying a line from the movie and he's looking at himself and like the whole theater is packed and people just start laughing because he just doesn't, his performance is just, isn't good, you know, as, as, as him speaking. Right. Those are the moments that I loved about the movie because it, again, it shows that transition and the, uh, maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is, um, where Margot, Margot Robbie makes the transition to talkies I what? went to the bathroom through that scene and I came back and it was still going on. Yeah, it was long. It was long. But the whole idea... But it makes sense. I love whole, that scene too. The whole idea is that in the beginning of the movie, before sound, you have these like micro sets of like five movies Yeah, it was like five being, different movies being shot on the same shout set. Out to Spike Jones, Which I never thought about that. <laughs> what did you think of Spike Jones? Another cameo, which... I don't know. Like after seeing Glass Onion, it, the cameos are getting tired. Like they're getting tired. Yeah. I get it. You have famous friends. That's fine. It's just, um, it's just showing off. And I was just like, okay. But I feel like this one, there wasn't that many. It was like Flea and Spike. And I think that was it. I think that was it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought Spike was just hilarious as the, the German, know, the German director. director coming to America and just like, I need 20 cameras. And like, that was a really cool sequence too. And that just was, like, no holds bar and I'm just going to do whatever it takes to like, it kind of reminded me of a uh, Werner <clears throat> Herzog a little bit. When you mentioned that, that just that whole sequence before that, when they're in the silent films, they're filming, you know, five movies at once. Right. I'd never thought about that until yeah. I watched this and I was like, Oh, of course they were doing that. Cause it makes sense. Cause there's no sound like, right. you know, and then you're not locked <clears throat> to a sound stage. Yeah. And then when I do transition to sound and they're like, who's breathing, who has a clock, like who is, and it's like, her leg that's making a noise because she has pins in it or yep. something. And I was like, oh yep. my fucking God. Like now you're in a box and I love the soundproofing on the walls too. And the camera is in its own box with the operator and the operator's fucking dying <laughs> because it's fucking he hot <laughs> and he literally does die. <laughs> the sound operator is like on, you know, this like rafter and he has to come down the stairs. And even for this podcast, I was like, I feel seen because of like, the amount of editing that I have to do because there is no soundproofing here, just behind the scenes of behind the scenes. Every little creak, every little gasp, every... And this is like when audio was like at its infancy. There wasn't the technology... I mean, we have way more technology in this podcast than they ever had. And so every little creak, every little sound, every little... The way that you say things um, was a big deal because they were still trying to figure out how to do these films with sound. And I just, I love that scene, but I, I did feel like it ran a little bit too long. Although maybe it was meant to make you feel the frustration that everyone on that set is feeling because yeah. it's just over and over and over and over and right. over. And like the camera guy's hot and the sound guy's pissed and, you know, she's not hitting her mark or yeah. she's too loud or she's too. So I totally get that because a lot of people don't realize <laughs> how many takes a thing takes sometimes, yeah. you know? Especially then when they were just breaking into sound. If you go back and look at to the early talkies, one of the big things was is that they would hide microphones. Like say there's a scene where like people are coming to dinner and there's a little floor arrangement. They would hide the mic and you see them 
hunch over yeah. not naturally <laughs> because of the mic, because they're trying to pick up, because they didn't have lavaliers. They didn't have boom mics that could get very close. I really like the scene where Diego goes into the theater and they're showing the jazz singer and there's audio and he's like, fuck. And then he like leaves. Things have changed. I really like that scene. That scene was really yeah. cool because there was no dialogue other than the movie that was running. And you got so much out of that one scene with no dialogue in it. And so those are the things that I liked about the movie. Um, I wish again that the characters were built more around that. And then it wasn't just like an extreme because there's another scene too, where um, they're at another party and that's the other thing. What did you think of Margot Robbie's character with her dad, that relationship? Because I feel like, they were trying to build it into something, but then it never really. But then you have that scene where she goes and visits her mom and you're like, right. You could have just said your mom was in a sanatorium. Like yeah. you didn't have to go and like, and she never even like really says it. Like I don't you're know. just, I do you know? love the snake fighting scene. I thought that was so yeah. funny. I love, I, I thought that was shot really well and it was really funny to watch. Yeah. But her and her dad was weird. Her and her mom was weird. I feel like they were trying to make it seem like her parents were unstable and not really a part of her life. But then like, I think it would have gone somewhere if, cause you have that scene where she's like, my dad's like, you know, my manager or whatever. And then he's at the party and she sees him like trying to like cozy up to other, using her name to cozy up to other people. She gets mad and is like, Oh, I want to see him fight a snake. If he would have died fighting the snake, like that would have been right. enough of a payoff, but he doesn't. And then he's just too drunk. <laughs> yeah. And, just and he just passes out. out. So I'm just like, this was for nothing. Like this meant right. nothing. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. It's like, it didn't Like that really whole sequence could have been cut out. Lead anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I didn't really feel for Margot's character no. or feel that she had come from like Jersey and, you know, her journey to come to Hollywood and, and become what she wanted to be. And so, yeah, it, it just didn't really feel like anything to me. What do you think of Brad Pitt's character overall, his like trajectory? Well, he doesn't go anywhere. His character kind of stays stagnant throughout the whole movie. And I get that he's representative of a time in Hollywood that's fading and that's dying. And he's like washed up technically. And you have that really great exchange with him and Gene Smart where she's kind of like, she mentions the fact that in 50 years, someone's going to see his movie and relate to him as a friend, even though they've never met and yeah. he died before they were born. Cause that totally happens now. Like you watch a Marilyn Monroe movie, you watch a Gene Kelly movie and you're like, I know them. Like I know. And you learn about their life, whatever. Like you relate to them, even though you don't, they weren't even alive when you were. And so I think that's a really nice moment because she pretty much lays it out as it is. And she's like, you know what? There's always going to be a hundred of you. There's going to be a hundred more of me. There's going to be a hundred more of Nellie. Going back to uh, uh, Jovan's like storyline, he plays this like jazz trumpet player, um, and he's like talking shit to one of the sax players that he's like playing out of tune. And I hope that they would do more with it, and they did. And I'm glad that they yeah. did because I didn't want it to be this like side character that's just like, oh, fucking jazz players, musicians, and just talking shit, and then it kind of just ends. And so Manuel and Sydney have this conversation. It's like. The camera, that's another scene that I love. I love that scene too. Because uh, back in the day, music was played while the films were being made. Like right next to the sets. Yes. It wasn't like we make the movie and then five months down the road, uh, the composer basically writes the music. No, it's like we needed to have it like recorded on site 
you know, as closest to the set as possible. Jovan Sidney plays this trumpet player and they're recording the scene and he's on the side with his jazz band and, and they're, and when uh, is like eating lunch and then Jovan is like, they had this conversation and Jovan's like, Oh, I think the camera's pointed in the wrong direction. Basically saying like, fucking film us. Yeah. You know, Manuel basically makes Sidney Palmer a star, you know, because of that, because, uh, no one had really looked at them. And, um, and that's sort of the, the whole idea of like that, you know, people of color were dismissed and weren't really, um, attribute it to anything unless they could do something. And that's the thing that there's a party scene after that, where they're like talking to him. And the only reason that they're really talking to him is because he's a great musician, not just because yeah, he's a I, person. That, I love that whole sequence with the like juxtaposition with Sydney and with uh, Nelly. Cause you have their whole, the whole back and forth where she's like at this party, she's supposed to debut her whole new persona and be demure and she has like British accent and like all that stuff. And then Sydney's kind of there to like show face and because he's like, you know, this like big jazz star. And then you have all these white people that are just like, oh, what's it like to play jazz? Like all this like weird stuff. And you kind of have this back and forth between Nellie and Sydney. And Nellie's like trying her best to like keep it together and not be drinking and not have like a Jersey accent and like all this stuff. And like Sydney's have trying his best to keep it together around all these white folks and like not say anything when they're like poking and prodding at him. And they kind of both have this like breaking point type thing. But, you know, his is a lot more subtle because he's kind of just like, oh, that's my cue to leave. Bye. And like he just like leaves. Whereas she has this like big, gigantic mental breakdown and like starts eating all the food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like throws up. That was like really good. And I like, want to throw up on a rich person. And then, yeah. And the rich guy is like, you're throwing up on my carpet. And like, <laughs> then she like takes a bow and like all yeah. that. The scene that I alluded to earlier with um, Jovan's character is where basically he's like become the focus of these films and they're shooting the band. And uh, one of the producers is like, you know, he's like too... <laughs> It's because like it's the so light insane. is directly on him. Right. But yeah. they're like, he's like too light looking. He looks a different color than the rest of compared his band. Compared to the rest of the band. Right. And they talk about like where the other band meets came from and yada, yada, yada. And so Manuel's forced to. That was a really rough scene. Yeah, it was a really rough scene. Manuel's a Mexican and telling, you know, someone of color to you to be like, you need to be blacker. And he gives them this like, canister and and it's like charcoal to to be darker and Manuel is like I know what I'm asking you to do and it's fucked up but also like I need you to do it and he guilts that's the thing that's shitty is that he guilts he's like all of these people are gonna lose their jobs or they're not gonna have money for their families like think about them and he does it and that's like the breaking point then he leaves the studio and like gives the security the idea is like I'm never coming back here again and so I was like yes yeah that was a good um, scene. But that's where I feel like Manuel's character, that's where he's sort of... That's where he's like sucked into yeah, the monster. sucked into the system. Because you, you know? can, like he even, when we first meet Manny, he has like his hair, it's all like yeah. cute and disheveled. And then like in this whole scene where he's like executive, it's like, like it's slicked, slicked back. back he's like a nice place. suit. Yeah. It was about hour two <laughs> when you turned to me and were like, Where's Toby Maguire? And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I completely forgot Toby Maguire was in this movie. And this is where the movie took like a weird 
or weirder turn for me anyway. So like Margot Robbie's character, Nellie is in this like gambling debt and Toby Maguire is the shark that's like trying to get the debt back. And so Manuel together with <laughs> their fucking drug guy ends up like making up this thing to get Toby Maguire the money. It's all prop money. And they go to his house and he's having a party and it's like weird. And then it turns into like a horror movie for like 15 minutes. Like Toby Maguire's character leads them into this, these like bowels of LA, which is essentially a cave. And it goes, there's like four floors and each floor gets worse. And they have like an elephant man type guy in one floor. And they have like a guy eating rats in one floor. And, and he's it's just supposed like, to be like the star that Toby And he's Maguire. like, just wait. And then that's what the payoff is, is like a big guy eating a rat. And I don't know. That just, it didn't work for me. I was just like, I don't, this could have been cut too. <laughs> like, I mean, the only thing I could think of is it's like the underbelly, the corruption, which I get, like we yeah, knew that yeah. already. Right. And that's why I was like, right. I didn't need to see all of this. Yeah. It just didn't really need to be there. So weird. You know? It was very weird. And, um, but that's like sort of the beginning of the end for like everyone going towards the end. You know, I could see the whole Brad Pitt character killing himself. But before that, he has this really nice moment with Faye because he sees her again. And she's like, oh, I'm about to go to Europe. And he's like, cool, they're going to love you in Europe. Yeah, that's and true. And she kind of is just like, are you okay? Like, are well, you all we right? Should, we should speak more about Faye. I loved her character. I Like from the moment we see her, she does this like Marlene Dietrich kind of, she has the outfit on like the tuxedo and the hat, yeah. which I'm sure was a nod to Marlene Dietrich. And I'm sure her character has some nods to anime Wong in it as well. And I just really love her character because she's, you know, shown as this like woman who's into women, who's into men, who's just kind of this like ambiguous character who is also fetishized because of her exoticness yeah. because she is Asian. And so you kind of see that part of it. But she's she's always kind of whenever she shows up in the movie, she's like this kind of constant that like brings you back to like Earth, like brings you back. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like yeah. with grounded characters, her and, and uh, Jovan, to me, they're the most like grounded characters. In, yeah. In like every movie. time she shows up, it kind of, yeah, it grounds you again. Like she shows up at the party and like every like the whole theater was silent when her character showed up and then she shows up in the snake biting scene to save Nellie. And then she shows up right before Jack kills himself to be like, are you okay? And like, we'll be fine. And you know, you had a good run and like all this and stuff. She has that look too, as she's like walks yeah. out of the, the restaurant or bar that they're at. She gives him one last look of like goodbye, but also like being concerned because it's like right before he's going to. And himself. I thought Lee Lee did a really good job with it. I thought yeah. she was phenomenal in it. Those are the characters that I want to spend that I more care time about. With, you know? <laughs> yeah. That leads into Brad Pitt basically realizing that his era is basically over and he goes to a hotel room and basically shoots himself shoots himself, which I know happened, you know, for a lot of actors and people in the industry when it shifted into uh Sayonara to Takis. Um but as far as the film's concerned, I didn't really it didn't make me hurt. It, it seemed didn't make a me little feel too on the nose for me anyway. Yeah. You know? But also like Brad Pitt's character is just like, dude, he's a jerk. 
treats women like shit and is just like there for the ride and getting drunk on set and just like belligerent. Can you imagine being at a party till 5 a.m. and continuing to drink and having a call time at like 10 and being like, let's go. Let's go. Like, oh my God. Well, that's why they have that drug guy that's like passing out the drug magician and there's like peanuts and there's like a blue pill. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, when Brad Pitt characters died, I was just like, okay, good. Like I can focus on other people. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe there was too many characters to focus on because we had um, Jack, we had Nelly, we had uh, Manuel, we had Sydney, we had Faye. What do you think of when Manuel and and, uh, Margot Robbie's character, when they're like, let's go to Mexico and like, let's live happily ever after? That was weird to me too. And like, especially like I get that he's in love with her because he says it several times. (laughs) And, you know, he is that like naive guy and he's like enchanted by her when he meets her because she's so effervescent and like all this stuff. But I don't know. I feel like it was one thing to be like, let's go to Mexico. Let's get the fuck out because they're trying to kill us. But then to be like, Let's get married and have kids. <laughs> like what? Like that was fucking weird to me. And obviously that wasn't going to work out. No. But I also think that like Margot Robbie's character was wasted because she just like walks off into the darkness. Yeah. And then you're like, she died at 34. You're like, okay. <laughs> what? Like I, when she was walking, me and Tina were like, she's going to get hit by a car or she's going to get shot. Like yeah. as she's walk, I was waiting for something to happen. And then nothing did. She just like walks off in the darkness. But that's the thing to me, like that's such a wasted character, you know? And it's like, if you're going to have like a female lead, especially because she has such an explosive introduction too, right? where you're just like, this is the girl. This is going to be the girl. And that's what I'm saying is like, you need these characters to carry the film that they're in and just to sort of just throw them away. I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't really like it. And, um, after that, like, are you left with, is Manuel and it's like in the fifties and he comes back to LA with his new family. And, uh, Oh, let's talk about Astro Burger. Right. So this is a Paramount picture. So most of it takes place in the Paramount back lot. When Manny comes back, we see, you know, the sweeping shot of Paramount, which is right by Hollywood forever cemetery. And there's also our favorite burger restaurant, Astro Burger. Although the one year Paramount isn't as good as the one on Santa Monica. I still think it's it's not, The chocolate shakes are crap. But I did notice that it doesn't even say Astro. Like the star is blank and it just says burgers, shakes or whatever. But they shot it. Like they framed it. So. Yeah. um, But I thought that was really cool. Throughout the whole movie, I kept thinking, because Emma Stone was supposed to be in this. Really? She was going to be. But then she got pregnant. Nellie. Baby saved it, I guess. At first I thought baby ruined it. But now I'm like, maybe baby saved it. I don't know. So the film ends with uh, Manuel going to a theater and it seems like he hasn't been to a theater in a really long time. And he's sitting there and he's watching several movies. Right. Because he gets there, falls asleep, wakes up. And the movie he's seeing is a direct copy of scenes we saw happening earlier. So we see like making fun of essentially actors not being able to transfer from silent films to talkies which is exactly what happened like like you have the scene of brad pitt going i love you i love you i love you that everyone made fun of and then you have the scene of margot robbie in the like 
French Victorian movie where she's like trying to talk and this isn't a movie and everyone's like laughing. And so he's kind of just like, uh, and like he kind of is reminded of everything they've been through. And then you have this whole like thing where you can see them when they first met and when they were at the party and like, which is supposed to evoke some sort of emotional <laughs> feeling in the audience, but it doesn't, at least not for me. Yeah. At least not for us. And I mean, there's a lot of references to singing in the rain. Yeah, and, and then it becomes singing idea, in the rain. Yeah. The idea that we all see singing in the rain is this pristine thing, but it wasn't really. But again, yeah, that scene reminded me of uh, Cinema Paradiso. And Cinema Paradiso to me did a, a way better job of emoting. And I get emotional every time I see that scene in Cinema Paradiso. But again, it's just. It's the lack of building the characters. And and Manuel is like probably the character that I that I felt for most and, and that I connected with most. Diego Calva does a really good job in this scene. Yeah. And but even then it's but there's still just like felt nothing. hollow yeah. and and just forced and also takes like a two thousand one ending. Yeah, where it has the weird every movie image. Yeah. Which includes two thousand one. Yeah, which includes two thousand one <laughs> yeah. and every film that's sort of made an impact on people. One of the things with two thousand one to to show like space, infamously they would have aquariums that were lit and they would drop like droplets yes, to make it look lit. like it's like the galaxy. And so there's shots of that too. And it's like retrofitted to like old things that I happened. I thought it and- was the credits when that was happening. But then it goes back to like the scene with Diego in the theater. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's not over. And I was <laughs> shocked. Well, I mean, it's an R-rated movie, so it not matter. They showed very briefly uh, one of my most hated scenes in cinema in Un Chien Andalou, which is the eye cutting scene where right. they hold the woman's eye like this and they take a, a razor and they go, Whoop, and it's like, a, it's a cow eye. but for like a split second, you right. saw the pus come out of the eye and I was just yep. like, ah, uh, yeah. And so I get that it's a nod to all of these like really important moments in cinema. But of but- all the things <laughs> that you could have shown, <laughs> you showed that. It's important. Okay. It's important. It got into this weird abstract place Which that didn't fit with the movie. Leading up to it didn't really fit because you were very narrative driven and very like in this reality, this world that you built and. And then to go to the abstract all of a sudden at the very end, it, it felt to me like you didn't know how to end this. Well, it would have made more sense to me if that was the end. Because then you bring it back to the 21st century and you're like, look at all of these films that are made. Like, look at all these films that are made from this moment in time to the moment in time where you're watching this right. film. End credits cut. That's it. You didn't have to add those like. Again, those like aquarium. I know that was weird. That you could have just. I don't see why that happened. The most impactful cinema scenes, history, yada yada yada, all that stuff, and then cut back to Manuel and he's crying, and then cut to black, and then you're done. Um, But it it took this weird, just I don't know. I think it was just trying too hard, and and again, it's like you had to fill up this time, but also you're over three hours long. So like just fucking end the thing, you know? I think my final thoughts are disappointment <laughs> with every well, we also didn't touch on the music. Oh which yeah. was literally La La Land. Let's like talk about, Yeah, there's a lot of motifs, and I'm sure it was on purpose. If you guys are a fan of the La La Land soundtrack, which I am you're gonna hear it. But I hated it. It was bad. It's a modification. And there of was one the La song La that had the ending of oh, I can't remember what's but like yeah. literally the ending 
five melody note was right. it was like La, La Land. If you know it, you'll hear it. In First Man, was the music similar to La, La Land no. at all? And you would think with a movie like this, the music would be like, like banging. You know, you right. have so much to work from. You have the dawn of the jazz age here in cinema, the dawn of sound. And I don't know. I feel like they could have done so much. I don't know. I almost feel like they shouldn't have gone with Justin Hurwitz for this. There is one like main melody that when we were driving home, we had stuck I in our did. head. Doesn't mean it was good. Yeah. That, I'm not saying <laughs> that's, I wasn't trying to say that, but it is kind of a weird worm that stays with mm -hmm. you. Yeah. But that doesn't equate to a great soundtrack. You know what I'm saying? I think I saw everything that I needed to see. You know, it shot great. It you does know, look really nice. I the like acting it. is solid. I'm really happy for uh, Diego Calva and uh, Giovanna Depo. I don't know. There's nothing for me to rewatch this film. No. You know, unless you're a diehard fan of the era. I would have this movie. Okay, let me tell you. Perfect for this movie. If you're having a party and you want something projected with the sound off, put this movie on. Yeah. I don't think you're going to learn anything. No. <laughs> Nothing Unless to be Unless you're just, again, completely unaware and just going into it blind and don't know anything. But even then, I don't know if it's necessarily accurate to the time. There's some questionable things. It's not. Margot Robbie's hair, not accurate. It was a big gripe I had, too. To me, it's a pass, for sure. Pass, yeah. Especially for the runtime. If it was an hour and 40, I'd be like, okay, give it a shot. But three hours? Yeah, it's a lot of time. Plus, like the cost of tickets now to go Watch to Triple the R instead for three Triple hours. R. Yeah. Literally. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. So that's going to wrap up our review on Babylon. Let us know what you think, whether or not we were wrong. If you like it or if you hate it, let us know. We're at... Cut Movie Pod on all socials. So you got Twitter, you got YouTube, newly TikTok, Instagram, Cut Movie Pod. If you want us to review anything or maybe cover a movie that's already come out that you really love, let us know. Again, we've done full deep dives on movies like Almost Famous. We did like a two-parter in Titanic. That's intense. We did Texas Chainsaw Massacre for my horror fans out there. And you can catch up on our most recent reviews. We did The Menu. And then for Christmas time, we did Violent Night, which we love David Harbour in as our Santa Claus. So we really hope you enjoyed this. And we'll catch you on the next one, which is going to be probably our Oscar special predictions anyway. Like, comment, subscribe, because it helps us out. And we'll see you on the next one. Cut. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>